Well, if you'll find your spot in the Bible, if you, if you brought your copy of the Scriptures tonight, Exodus chapter 30, Exodus chapter 30, and if you're able to stand as we read God's Word, Exodus chapter 30. Boy, I just tell you what, I appreciate the song service, what a blessing that was to my heart, and, and so thankful for that, to be able to sing praises unto Him. Exodus chapter 30, we're going to be looking at the altar of incense tonight as we make our way inside the tabernacle. And man, I'm, I'm kind of bummed out, you know, there's only one more night after tonight, but I'm excited about tomorrow night as we're going to look into the presence of God where He dwells. Because that's what it's all about. It's all about meeting with a holy God. And um, we've done that tonight already. And I'm praying that we continue to do so. And that He speaks to our hearts and challenges us in all that we say and do. Exodus chapter 30, and I'll get, to get it together here in just a minute. Exodus chapter 30 and verse 1, Moses writes, Thou shalt make an altar to burn incense upon, of shittim wood shalt thou make it. A cubit shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, four squares shall it be, and two cubits shall be the height thereof, the horns thereof shall be of the same. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, the top thereof, and the sides thereof round about, and the horns thereof, and thou shalt make unto it a crown of gold round about. And two golden rings shalt thou make to it under the crown of it by the two corners thereof. Upon the two sides of it shalt thou make it, and they shall be for places for the staves to bear it withal. And thou shalt make, uh, uh, and thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put it before the veil that is by the ark of the testimony, before the mercy seat that is over the testimony, where I will meet with thee. And Aaron shall burn thereon. Sweet incense every morning when he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. Verse 8, and when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. Excuse me, ye shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering, neither shall ye pour drink offering thereon. Verse 10, and Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. And then I love what he adds there at the end. It is most holy unto the Lord. Just in case you forget. It is most holy unto the Lord. Look at verse 34. Verse 34 And the Lord said unto Moses, he's going to talk about the incense here. And the Lord said unto Moses, take unto thee sweet spices, stacked in ancha and galbanum. These sweet spices with pure frankincense, each shall there be a like weight. And thou shalt make it a perfume, a confection after the art of the apothecary, tempered together, pure and holy. And thou shalt beat some of it very small and and put it before the testimony in the tabernacle of the congregation where I will meet with thee. It shall be unto you most holy." And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, ye shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee holy for the Lord. Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people. Heavenly Father, we again come before you tonight, and and Lord, we, we need to meet with you. We need you to meet with us, and we pray that you would continue to have your hand upon us tonight. And Father, it does us no good whatsoever if we come and, and we sit and, and we listen, Lord, and and we, it does us no good if we're not sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God and, and don't 
just pay attention to that still small voice on what you would have for us to learn and to apply to our lives. Father, we need help tonight. We need the help that only you can bring for our lives and for our family, for our homes. Lord, for, for everything that we do as we seek to minister about the holy things. And Lord, again, it's my prayer every single night as we've been looking at these tabernacles, Lord, to learn more about you, but also to apply these truths to our life. Maybe there's someone here tonight again, Father, that does not know you as their personal Savior. Maybe there's someone here tonight, Lord, that they're not positive that if they were to die, they'd be in the presence of you and of Christ forever. Lord, maybe they're just only partially assured of their salvation. I pray that tonight would be the night that they would repent of their sins and trust you for the forgiveness of sins. And Lord, help us as we look at this altar of incense to learn about it, Lord, and learn what it means. And uh, Father, just understand the great need and, and, uh, that we have of prayer, for prayer. And so I ask, I ask that you'd have your hand upon us. Help me to clear my thoughts, Lord, and just think about what you've uh, helped me to, to uh, prepare and to study. And Lord, I pray that you'd receive the blessing from it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So... As we look at this altar of incense, it lends itself, of course, to prayer, and one of the greatest difficulties in the life of a Christian is to have a healthy prayer life, and it's just the way it is, and I think that the devil knows how important our prayer life is, and there's why he makes it so difficult for us to pray, and one of the greatest difficulties for us as a born-again believer is to have a healthy, robust prayer life. I mean, we can get in our Bible reading, and we can download the app, and we can have a a systematic approach to reading our Bible, and you can read a chapter a day or a proverb a day or you know, this and here, but man, just to, to block off some time and have some prayer with the Lord on a daily basis is difficult for most Christians. And we're often frustrated by stories of great men and women who are motivated by prayer and great movements of prayer. And Because and, and, as a born-again believer and the busyness, and it just seems like the, the, the longer that we're on this earth and, and the longer time goes by and uh, with, the, with the things in the, um, what's the word I'm looking for, the inventions and the, uh, the things that we have now that they didn't have back in the 50s and 60s and then the 40s and before that, and just the pace of life seemed so much faster, and just to be able to spread out some time and to have a, a, a copious amount of time just in prayer is, is just hard for us to fathom sometimes. The thoughts of sleepless nights or long hours spent in earnest soul-searching prayer and praying to the Lord until He comes and answers seems almost overwhelming to most Christians. Let's face it, if the truth were known, most Christians would do just about rather, would almost just to do about anything than pray. We'll enjoy long hours of fellowship with one another, but sometimes we find it hard to just spend five minutes alone with God. You know that oh him, you know, sweet hour of prayer. Sometimes it gets whittled down to sweet ten minutes of prayer. You know, for for many Christians in the world today. And I'm not just talking about backslidden Christians here or lukewarm Christians. I'm talking about sincere, earnest believers who'd have to admit that their prayer life is lacking. And even not only Christians, but pastors and those in in, in full-time ministry, just anyone who names the name of Jesus Christ and says, yeah, I'm on my way to heaven. I know that I'm saved. I'm telling you what, the truth be told, most Christians' prayer lives are not probably where they need to be. Someone has said nothing is more discussed or nothing is discussed more and practiced less than prayer. So why is it that we don't pray? You know, we have to come to this, come to this question and ask ourselves, why is it that we don't pray? 
Because one of the things that constantly amazes me is that the God of the universe, and I think Brother Marshall mentioned it a little bit ago, the God of the universe desires to have fellowship with me, and he desires to have fellowship with you. And I've been married to Dina. We were talking about this today. I've been married to Dina for 25 years. And man alive, how, how wonderful it is. And I'm so thankful that uh, for 25 years with her, and the communication has to go both ways, doesn't it? And so I talk to Dina, and Dina talks to me, and we text, and we talk when we're not there. And it's the same way with our relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's the amazing thing is that He wants to have a relationship with me. He desires to have fellowship with me. And, and, and He speaks to me through the revealed Word of God as I read it on a systematic basis. As I get in here and I open up the Scriptures, He speaks to my heart and shows me the truth about Him and how I should live my life. But there's a, there's a flip side of that coin. My prayer life is how I talk to Him. And so the communication has to go both ways. Man alive, he is a God in heaven who is the creator of the universe and all that's therein, and everything else is the created. And I think that I was praying this, this afternoon and, and, and just talking to the Lord about this, and he is the creator of all that's therein, and everything else is just down here, the created beings. And, and the, the magnificent creator of the universe, the Alpha and the Omega, wants to have fellowship with me. I can't comprehend that. I don't understand that. And so he says, Here, here's, how, here's what I want to talk to you about as we get into his word and as we read it. And then he's waiting, he's waiting, he's patiently waiting for the born-again believer to get on that bended knee or to bow their head and to say, Dear Heavenly Father, it's me again. And sometimes, the truth be told, there's no one on the other line when it comes to the born-again believer. And our, and our prayer life is just lacking. It's, it's not where it needs to be. And so he who created the heavens and the earth desires a personal relationship with his creation. It's amazing if you just really stop and think about it. But if we would have fellowship with the creator, then we have to come to him in the manner that he prescribes. And one of those manners is earnest prayer. I, I mean, he wants to have that relationship. He, you know, I mean, the, the, disciples never, the disciples never said, Lord Jesus Christ, help us, teach us to sing or teach us to preach. They didn't ask him that. They said, teach us to pray. Because it, it, it's important. And we, we, have to have that, we have to have that in our life. Now for the last several nights, we've been looking at the Old Testament tabernacle. And we've been looking at the tent and the place where God would dwell among men and allow them to come into His presence for sweet fellowship. And God purposefully established the tabernacle. And all that was therein, the whole reason that He did this was for the sole purpose to meet Him. I mean, to meet with Him. He had the fellowship with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and they broke that fellowship. They took that fruit, and now no fellowship. And, and you know, he did a uh, deal with men, of course, but he established this tabernacle. I mean, why would he even do that? Because he loves us so much. He established this tabernacle so they could have a place to worship and so that he could dwell among men so that they could meet with him. And it's just an amazing thing. So God did that so for the sole purpose for man to meet with him. But if we're going to meet with God again... He says, there's a few things that need to take place in order for me to have this fellowship with you because he's a holy God. And he's not going to let just anyone come to his presence, into his presence, unless our hearts are where they need to be, unless we go through the proper channels or go into the manner that he prescribes. I, I, you know, listen, well, you mean I, have to, you mean I have to have my heart right before God before I can come to him? No, listen, we need to come to him when our hearts are not right before him. But he's going to deal with our sin. I can't wait to get into the 
uh, uh, into the Holy of Holies or the most holy place tomorrow and just to look at a picture of God or who God is. But I'm just saying what, what God wants from us is He wants to have sweet fellowship with us and commune with us. But if we're going to do that, we're going to have to do it in the manner that He prescribes. So we first looked at the gate, and this was the manner that he prescribed for the children of Israel during the, uh, during the tabernacle. We looked at the gate where the only entrance into the tabernacle courtyard was that gate. And then we met up at the, at the brazen altar, which speaks of our atonement and points to the, the, uh, the uh, sacrificial death of, the, of our Savior on the cross. And then we came to the brazen laver, which speaks of our need for daily cleansing. And then once inside the tabernacle, we find the three furnishings that we, we've looked at two of those. We've looked at the candlestick, which points to Christ, the light of the world, and how we are to be a light of the, unto the world. And then last night, we looked at the table of showbread, which speaks of our offering of thanksgiving unto God and His ever-watchful care for us, and how we're to present our life before Him and, and keep our lives before Him so that He can bless us and have His hand upon us. So tonight, we look at the next furnishing found within the tabernacle, and it's the altar of incense, which symbolizes the prayers and the communion of God's people ascending up to heaven. And so if you'll put that slide up on, on, on the screen there, this is the altar of incense, uh, something similar to this. And uh, so we're looking at the altar of incense again, which symbolizes the prayers and communion of God's people ascending up to Him. Now listen, I think we all, we all understand this, and we know this, but we need to be reminded from time to time, but it's a fact, listen folks, God answers prayer. We don't, we, don't do the, we don't do the prayer list, and I believe you do yours on Wednesday night. I saw it last night. We don't do the prayer list just because we have nothing else to do. We have a prayer list because God answers prayer. And so don't just take your prayer list and stick it in the back of your Bible, and then, oh, next Wednesday we get another prayer list. Oh, it's an updated list. Oh, great. And we crumple that, and we put that in there until next Wednesday. No, listen, God answers prayer. We need to be praying for those people who are on that list. When we face severe problems or troubles or crisis, listen, God answers prayer. When we face, all, when we face uh, sickness and, and disease or accidents, God answers prayer. When we face pain and suffering or, uh, or terminal illness or, or even looking at, at death, God answers prayer. Anytime difficult times of our life, if we, if we pray, if we cry out to God from the depths of our heart, I'm just telling you what, it's a fact that God does hear and answer prayers. And we've heard stories about this, you know, we, we were praying and there was an all-night vigil or these people were praying, these people were praying and God miraculously healed them and, and, and took away that illness or took away that cancer or, or changed the circumstances and we're all rejoicing like, praise the Lord. But then sometimes we pray and we pray and we pray and nothing changes. It doesn't mean that God has not answered. It means God has said no. And, and so we still have to go, listen, He knows what He's doing in our life and He allows certain things to take place because He's working all things together for good to them who love Him, to those who are called according to His purpose. And so we lift it up to prayer and we ask for His will to be done. Man, we could go into that whole, whole process of praying in the will of God. Well, I've been praying for a brand new car and God hasn't given me a new car. Well, perhaps you don't need a new car. We have to pray according to God's perfect will. And that's, again, a whole other story. When we need comfort and and guidance, and assurance, and security, companionship, friendship. God hears and answers our prayers. Let me just tell you what, folks. He meets our needs always. Always. So this is the significance and, and purpose of the altar of incense here in the middle of the tabernacle. The altar of incense was used to offer up the most pleasing and acceptable aroma that can be imagined. 
And so he gave them the direction for that as we saw. And this symbolized the, uh, the, the pleasure and acceptance of God that he was pleased with the aroma and accepted the offering that was being made. So what was the offering? Well, it was the prayer of his dear people. It was the prayer of the saints. The, the altar of incense symbolized the, the prayers of God's dear people ascending up to him. In, in verses 1 through 6, we find the design for the altar. And like the other uh, of the furnishings, it was made of shittim wood or acacia wood. The altar was to be square. It was 18 inches by 18 inches and only three feet high. It was to have horns on each corner carved from the same piece of wood. And you can kind of see it looks like there's some horns on that or you know, they're sticking up from the top. And, and we already talked about the significance of horns, which are symbolic of God's power. Listen, remember, the horns were symbolic of God's power. We talked about it at the brazen altar. It was symbolic of God's power, His strength, His salvation, His protection, His security, His sanctuary, His help. And, and it's a great picture, to, what a great picture to find horns on the altar of incense, which symbolize our prayers to God. Why would he put horns on that thing? Because of what they symbolize. We go to prayer, we find his power. We find his strength, his salvation, his protection, his security, his sanctuary. Man alive, have you ever, have you ever had it happen in your life where in the busyness of everything that's going on, you feel overwhelmed? And you're just like, I, I just, I just got to get alone. I just have to get alone. And you go to your house or you go to your room or your prayer closet or your office and you shut the door and you get on your knees and you just, I, gotta, I need to spend time with him. Anyone besides me ever had that happen to you? What are you doing? You're going to the horns of the altar. And you're saying, Lord, I, I need your help. I, I need the strength that only you can give because I'm overwhelmed right now. And I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how this is going to work out. But Lord, I know that you're good and I know that you're wonderful and perfect and you have all things under control. And Lord, I just need to trust you for this. That's what we're talking about here. Listen, God's power and his strength are available to help us in times of need. But here's the thing. Only if we'll cry out to him, we have to cry out to him. These horns remind us that God... God has the power and God has the strength to deliver us through all of our trials, no matter how terrible. What are, you, what are you going through? What are some of the things that are taking place in your life? Let me tell you what, God can help you with that if you'll cry out to him. But, you know, Jesus is passing by. I was thinking about the disciples when they were rowing in the middle of the night and they saw it looked like a spirit and they were scared half to death, you remember, and they didn't know what was going on. And Jesus was passing and he would, as he, would, he was walking on the water and would have passed by them, Mark says had they not cried out to him. It's like he's walking and, and there they are. And it's like he wasn't even going to mess with them. Here they were about ready to sink and they were rowing in the boat and he would have passed by them, it says, had they not cried out to him. Oh, and then he turns. You, so you mean he didn't know what was going on in that boat? Oh, no, he knew exactly what was going on in that boat. He knows exactly what's going on in your life. And he's, I, I can just picture him in my life, if I, my life, would be down there on the floor, and Jesus, and I'm in, I'm in trouble or struggle or difficulties or things going on, and I, I'm overwhelmed, and here's Jesus, and he would, he would pass right on by. He wants to help me. He has the ability to help me. He has the, everything that I need in life, but what he's waiting for me to do is, oh, cry out unto him, and then he'll bring me, he'll, he'll come into my vessel, is what he did. And, and Mark, he got into the vessel, didn't they? And then what happened to them? They were safely on the side of the shore. But listen, friends, he's not going to force us. He is a gentleman is what he is. A bruised reed he is not going to break. A smoking flax he is not going to quench. 
Meaning he's not going to overpower you in your life and force himself upon you. He wants to help you in every aspect of your life. But friend, let me tell you what, you're going to have to cry out unto him in prayer. That's what he's asking us to do. Well, verse 3 tells us the altar was to be overlaid with gold and have a gold molding. And just like the other holy pieces of furniture in the sanctuary, the altar was covered with pure gold, which we know to symbolize deity, which of course points to Jesus Christ. And it seems like the purpose of the gold molding maybe was to keep the burning coals from falling off the altar and, and burning on a desert floor. I don't know for sure about that, but perhaps. And the altar of incense was to burn continuously, refreshed, the Bible says, every morning and every night. And listen to this, the fire to light the incense was to be taken from the brazen altar just inside the gate. So remember, here's the gate, and here they walked in inside, and boom, right here's that brazen altar. And the coals from this brazen altar are where they were to get the fire and take the fire and take it inside the tabernacle. And and you have the uh, candlestick and the table of showbread, and then here's the altar of incense. And then you have the veil, and on the other side of the veil is the Ark of the Covenant. And so the, they were take the, take the fire from the brazen altar to use to burn the incense in the holy place. He says, I don't want fire anywhere. Listen, God has a specific plan. He has a specific plan, specific requirements for the brazen altar, how to make the incense. Leviticus 16.12 tells us that it had to come from the brazen altar, the coals. And it's a, listen, it's a, it's a fact. God is serious about how we come to Him and how we worship Him. He doesn't leave anything by chance, folks. He shows us if we're just willing to pay attention. In fact, look at, let's look how serious God was about the, the proper way to come to Him at the altar of incense. Hold your spot here and turn with me to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. And uh, verses 1 through 3 chronicle the sin of Nadab and Abihu. Remember Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu? And uh, look at what happened in Leviticus chapter 10, in verses 1, 2, and 3. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer, and put fire therein, and put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And look what happened. There went out fire from the Lord, and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said unto Aaron, This is that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Nadab and Abihu took strange fire and took it into the altar of incense to burn before the Lord, and God says, No, that's not how you're going to come to me. I will be sanctified. I will be set apart. We're not going to have, we're going to do the things as I have asked you. And so, what was their sin? They offered this strange or unauthorized fire before the Lord. And based upon the scriptures, it most likely means that they took fiery coals from some fire burning nearby. They took some convenient fire, perhaps. And which I don't fully comprehend why you would want to do something like that. This is how God says, I want you to approach me. This is how I want you to worship me and, and take fires from the brazen altar. Leviticus told us that. And you take the fire from there, the coals, and you're to burn it on there. Why would you want to do something else? Let me tell you what, folks. Sometimes we always want to do, sometimes we want to do something else just because we want to do something else. And, 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 and it's not authorized by the Lord or it's not according to God's holy word. And so they were then punished for that. And so that was wrong because, remember, God had insisted that the coals come from the altar of the burnt offering. 
never from any other source. But is it it that big a deal? Well, we have to keep in mind a few things here. Keep in mind that the altar of burnt offering that we looked at on, uh, what was that, Monday night, I think it was, Sunday night, the, the altar of burnt offering symbolized the need for atonement and reconciliation from God. That's what that burnt, oh, burnt altar, uh, a brazen altar symbolized, the need for atonement to God, whereas the altar of incense that we're talking about, not, about tonight symbolized prayer. And so the sweet aroma of the incense ascending up toward heaven pictured the prayers of God's people ascending up to God. Everyone with me on that? And so that's what it symbolized. But prayer, listen... Prayer, your prayer and my prayer, yea, all prayer, is based upon the atonement. Even today, when I pray, it is based upon the atoning work of Jesus Christ. When we prayed a little bit earlier, what did we do? We prayed in Jesus' name. You know, technically, technically we don't. You know, am I getting, Technically, we don't pray to Jesus Christ. You know, we can do that if you want to. He's God, and praise the Lord for that. But technically, you know, our Father which art in heaven. You know, when, when Christ taught us how to pray, we pray to our Heavenly Father. And we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit of God, and we pray in Jesus' name. And so, uh, so any prayer that's offered unto God has to be, even today in 2019, tied to the atonement. It's got to be tied to the atonement, or the, prayers, or the prayers just aren't necessarily prayers. Prayer is based upon the atonement, uh, upon the person's upon the person being reconciled with God through the atoning sacrifice of the burnt offering. And this was the, this was the symbolism to be pictured by taking the fiery coals from the altar of burnt offering. God says, listen, if, for the sweet prayers and the aroma and the incense that's going to be offered up to me, it must be tied to the sacrifice. Prayer is based upon, again, the atoning sacrifice of the burnt offering, which is a symbol of Christ. And so in light of all this, here, here's what happened. The two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, they committed a serious fatal sin because they approached God in a wrong way contrary to His direct command. Listen, folks, it does matter how we worship a holy God. You know, you know Pastor Marshall and, and other pastors like me and other men and pastors, you know, we don't sit up in the middle of the night and think, man, how can I make the people's lives at First Baptist Bible Church miserable? How can, you know, what can we do? To, no, there is a proper way to worship a holy God. There are certain things that he wants us to do and certain things we should not do. And, and, and so they approached him in the wrong way. They conf- they, here's what they were doing. They were blurring and confusing uh, the very meaning of worship. They twisted and distorted worship, and they approached God as they desired and not as God had commanded. You know what? There's a lot of churches out there. I don't really want to get off on this too much here. I don't want to get on a rabbit here, but there's a lot of churches out there who are trying to worship God based upon their own desires and what's pleasing unto the world and trying to make the world, make it look palatable to the world and bring the world in. Listen, I think we're supposed to be a little bit different than the world. Remember the whole message about the light and the candlestick? and we're to be burning brightly for Him and to be different in this world, we don't want to bring the world in here. We want to be separated from the world. We need to go out there and reach the world and be that light and witness to them and show them the love of Jesus Christ. But why, would, why do we want to bring the world in here? No, sir, this is a hallowed place, if you will. Or it is a sanctuary. It is a building dedicated to worship a holy God. And God says, if you're going to worship me, there's specific things I want you to do. And keeping the world out of them is numero uno in my book. Well, in his book, too. Well, Nadab and Abihu offered a, a false worship to God, a will worship. This is what we want to do. I know, preacher, what, I know what the Word of God says, but this is what we want to do. <laughs> Man, God says, no, you don't. 
No, you don't. Well, I know what the Word of God says, but I'm just telling you what, there's always trouble coming after that. Well, I know, I know what the, I know, but, you know, I just think we need to be more seeker sensitive. I just think we need to, I just think we need to appeal to the young people today, preacher. I just think that we need to bring some, you know, dim the lights down and get some smoke rolling off the platform and, you know, and put some lights on the platform and, and change our music. Just get rid of that old King James verse. Listen, let me tell you what, folks, there's a proper way to worship a holy God. And darkness is not one of them. I tell our folks at First Baptist all the time, I said, no, 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 we'll go contemporary. We'll go contemporary, and we'll get rid of the hymns, and we'll get rid of the old King James Bible when you pry my cold dead fingers from around this pulpit. That's when that's going to happen, amen? I thought, I thought that was pretty good. But anyway. So anyway, these two men offered a false worship to God, a, a will worship, a self-made worship, a worship made and created in their own minds, a worship of self-righteousness. I know what God says, but this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to do. And it'll be, certainly it'll be acceptable unto him. Hey, we're just worshiping the same God anyway, aren't we? As long as it's for his glory, it can't be that bad, can it? Oh, God says, listen, <laughs> boom, and dropped him dead right there. And they drug him out. And Aaron was like, uh. And Moses said, uh-uh. And they were like, okay. That's how that conversation went. Amen. So the fire from the altar of incense, again, the fire from the altar of incense was tied to the brazen altar because, let me just throw it out here this way, because no, effect, no effectual prayers can be offered to God unless a sacrifice has been offered to satisfy the righteous and just nature of a holy God. Period. If a person isn't reconciled with God, I mean, if a person isn't reconciled to God, if a person is not even saved, why should we expect God to answer their prayers as they desire anyway? And I don't want to get people upset or anything of this nature, but a person has to be cleansed from sin through the atonement, from the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ for their, for their prayers to be answered as they desire in order for God to answer their prayers. Now, now let me be clear on this because, what do you mean? What are you trying to say? Well, here, let me say this. God can and does hear the prayers of the unsaved. I believe that with every ounce of my being. And some can make an argument with Cornelius and, and things of that nature. But God can and does hear all prayers. He's God. It's not like God's like, what? I can't. Uh, what did he say? You know, he's not even saved. I didn't know. God, God can hear everything. He understands everything. He can and hear the prayers of the unsaved. But, but until the sacrificial blood of Christ has been applied to your heart, the effectiveness of the prayers is limited. Meaning, I don't believe he's obligated to answer them. I don't believe he's obligated to answer them. He can. He can if he so desires. He's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. But I don't believe there's any power behind those prayers. You know, Brother Andrew's little boy, Levi, man, cute little feller. And, uh, you know, if he were to come up to me and say, hey, Brother Nail, can I have some gum? Or, you know, I don't know if he talks like that. I don't know who. Dina says you can almost carry a conversation on with a little guy, you know. And, uh, you know, he comes up to me and says, Hey, Pastor Nell, can I, Brother Nell, can I have a piece of gum? I would say, go talk to your dad. Why we, it's not my responsibility. Can I have a cheeseburger? Well, I might give him a cheeseburger if I had one, but it's not my responsibility to feed that boy. Andrew, get over there and take care of your boy. But, Brother Nell, can you take me to the bathroom? No. <laughs> Brother Marshall. Brother Marshall. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying there? I'm not his father. Go get your dad. Your dad will get you some gum if he wants you to have some gum. 
Your dad will take you to the restroom. Your dad will get you a cheeseburger. He's going to feed you tonight. I can do it. I mean, if it's within my ability and it's okay, you know, that he needs a drink of water, I'll help him out. But it's mom and dad's responsibility to take care of the boy. Did everyone see where I'm coming with here on this? And so if you're a born-again believer, then I don't want to say it behooves God because nothing behooves him. But if you're a born-again believer, then let me just say he's going to take care of you as long as you cry out unto him. You might not like the response or the answer, but he'll take care of you. But the unsaved, don't, the, the prayers of the unsaved are not tied to an atonement. They're not tied to the altar. And so God can answer them if he desires, but you're not even my son. You're not even my daughter. As a matter of fact, you're at enmity with me because of your refusal to trust me for the forgiveness of sins. Everyone with me on that? Man, it's big stuff here, folks. We're not just playing, we're not just playing church or playing Christianity. It, 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 there's a lot going on here. And, and so... God says, I want you to pray, but of course we have to be saved. God, God can and does hear the prayers of the unsaved, but again, certainly not obligated to answer them because the unsaved is at enmity. So at any rate, no doubt, as, as the priest ministered in the tabernacle and saw the hot coals of incense, so they take the hot coals of incense from off the burnt offering, the brazen altar, and they're carrying it in here, and they're coming into the, into the tabernacle, into the tent, Probably shaking like a leaf, man. I'd be scared after death. Wouldn't you be scared after death? You know, they had the robes and, you know, we don't get into all that, the robes and the bell and the pomegranate, the bell and pomegranate, the bell and pomegranate, you know, just, you know, and they tinkled around in there and, and, and you know, and I guess if it got quiet for too long, you know, they didn't do something right. Matter of fact, the pomegranate, you know how many, you know how many seeds are in a pomegranate? 613. You know how many precepts and ordinances God gave the children of Israel? 613. I think that's just pretty amazing. And so, at any rate, they're in there and they're taking those hot coals and they're putting them on the brazen altar. And as they're taking these hot coals upon the, uh, on the incense, they were reminded of God's righteousness and His just nature and of His blazing judgment against sin. No doubt they were reminded of also God's wonderful mercy and His grace that even invited them to approach the, the, the tabernacle in the first place. I, I'm just telling you what it's an amazing thing. No doubt, no doubt they were reminded of their reason for being at the altar and that was to intercede for the desperate needs of sinful people who needed the help of God. You know, when I go to prayer time, my prayer time, you know, I don't, it's not all about a grocery list of my needs. You know, I oftentimes think it's all about me. You know, you can ask Dina sometimes, you know, I think it's all about me. And if it's not, it ought to be. You know, I mean, we're selfish people sometimes. And, and that's why we have a prayer list so that we can pray for other people. I don't know if you've been like me, you know, and you've, you've prayed on your own, you didn't have a list, and man, you've killed the fatted calf, and you've been praying, and oh man, they covered everything, you need to get up, and it's been about eight minutes, everyone have that, anything have that, that happened to you? And you're like, well, how could that be? My, it's not working right. No, we have a prayer list, because we're interceding on the behalf of others, and the priests were, when the priests were going in here, and, and, and offering this incense, and burning this incense, it was symbolic of the prayers of the whole people, they were interceding for everyone. Because not everyone could go in there. And so when we pray, it's interceding on the behalf of others. Exodus chapter 30 and verses 4 and 5 show us that the altar was to have two gold rings attached to each side, and the rings were used to hold the two poles to carry the altar. Verse 6 says the location of the altar was next to the veil in the tabernacle. It was to be opposite of the Ark of the Covenant and its cover, the mercy seat. And it's significant, again, this, all this placement is significant because it's just outside the curtain. The prayers were just outside the curtain of the very presence of God. He didn't put this altar of incense in the corner of the courtyard. 
He put it right next to the tabernacle, right next to the Ark of the Covenant, and the mercy seat right next to his presence. And the one thing we all ought to seek above all else is to be near to God. You know what I want in my life? And you know what ought to be your desire and your goal to be near to God? You know, you know how you can be near to God? Get a perfect attendance pin this year. No, that's not how you become perfect and near close to God. It's not because you've had a perfect attendance pin. Join all the ministries of Riverside Baptist Church. That's how you can be near to God. That's not how you're going to be near to God. You know how you can be near to God is, is to how we see the steps here, the atonement and, and the labor of cleansing, and we're being, we're being the light, and this table of showbread, our presence there, and, and we're spending time in His Word, and we're spending time in prayer. That's how you're going to be close to God, spending time in prayer. I, I don't... I, we never draw any closer to God than when we're on our knees talking to Him. That's for sure. Look at verse 7. In verse, uh, verse 7, back in our text. Back in our text, Exodus chapter 30 and verse 7. It says, And Aaron shall burn thereon sweet incense every morning when he dresseth the lamps, he shall burn incense upon it. And when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, verse 8, chapter 30, verse 8, when Aaron lighteth the lamps at even, he shall burn incense upon it, a perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. So the altar was to be the place where sweet incense was offered up to the Lord every morning and every evening in perpetuity. Every morning and every evening. God says, every morning and every evening you're going to burn incense you know, and I'm not, I'm not going to up here say dogmatically, you know, you ought to be praying every morning and every evening. But I'm just telling you what, every single day you ought to have some prayer time with the Lord. Every single day. Have you spent time with Him today? Can I just ask that? Have you spent time with the Lord today? The altar was to be a place where sweet incense was offered up to Him. And that symbolized two things. This, this, this morning and evening symbolized the permanent intercession of Jesus Christ, of course. But it also is a symbol that believers are to pray always to develop an unbroken communion with God, basically to never cease being in the spirit of prayer. Never cease being in that spirit of prayer where we set aside some time and we commune with Him. So the Lord gives the priest some very specific instructions concerning the altar of incense as it was set apart for a very special piece of furniture. The Lord shows the holiness of the altar in verse 9. You shall offer no strange incense thereon, nor burnt sacrifice, nor meat offering. Neither shall ye pour drink offering thereon. And Aaron shall make an atonement, verse 10, upon the horns of it once in the year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. So the couple things, the priests were never to allow the altar uh, to be desecrated or misused, and that just kind of makes sense. But notice in verse 10, once a year, not only, not only was the, the fire supposed to come from the brazen altar to go to the altar of incense, But once a year, Aaron was to purify the altar by placing on its horns, listen, some of the blood of the atoning sacrifice. So on the Day of Atonement, when they made the sacrifice, remember when they took the blood, not only went into the tabernacle and went past these three furnishings and actually went into the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat, and they spread, you know, they sprinkled the blood. On that day, on that Day of Atonement, where one day of the year the priest was actually able to go into the most holy place, they're supposed to sprinkle some blood or apply some blood uh, onto this brazen altar. And so, you see, the altar, to have any significance, not only was there to be fire from the brazen altar, but it had to be directly connected to the blood that was shed on the burnt offering. And why is this important? Again, again, because it's the altar of prayer 
Listen, it is the altar of prayer where we plead the power of Christ's blood to cleanse us and accept us. We plead the blood of Jesus Christ. I think I heard Brother Marshall mention that one of these nights or something. Listen, we're pleading the blood of Jesus Christ. We... I'm thankful for the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and we plead that. And, and it's even shown us in the way that they were to offer incense and on the behalf and the symbolism of the prayers, not only the fire that's tied to the atonement, but it's tied to the blood of the sacrifice. It is tied to the blood of Christ. If the altar, it's the, at the altar of prayer where we stand in Christ's atonement. It's at the altar of prayer where we go behind that inner curtain in Christ's name, and experience the wonderful presence and glory of God Himself. There was only one day of the year on the Day of Atonement when the priest could bypass, could go past these other furnishings and actually step in. As I mentioned just a moment ago, only one day of the year could one man come into this place and, and apply the blood of that sacrifice on the Day of Atonement. But it's because of the blood of Jesus Christ that we have been in His presence multiple times today and multiple times tonight. And for that I say, Hallelujah. Amen. I don't have to, you don't have to go through a priest to get to the Father. You don't have to go through a woman named Mary to get to the Father. You don't have to go through your pastor, through your brother's uncle, or for anyone else. You don't have to jump through hoops or light candles to go into the presence of the Father. It's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, if we're just willing to do it. See, there you go. We have to be willing. I mean, we are so privileged. It's ridiculous. He says, I come into my presence. Would you come? Would you come? Oh, it's too busy. Stayed up too late last night. I got too much things to do, or I got to get on this game, or I got to watch this TV program. And the father's like, the table's been set for you to come into my presence and allow me to give you the help that you need for your family, but we won't. So, once a year, the altar was purified because, verse 10, I love that. I just love this part. It was purified because, verse 10 says, the altar was most holy to the Lord. Is most holy. Don't be messing with this. Don't be messing with the prayer time. Don't be messing with my prayer time, God says. It is most holy unto the Lord. So if we remember nothing else, we need to remember that it's because, of course, the ministry of Christ that the door of God's presence has opened us to a, today. And the only reason that we can come to Him in prayer is because of the altar of reconciliation because of the death of Christ. So let me ask this question to you tonight. Do we cherish that high and holy privilege that is ours? Do we really, man, do we, man, I love that time of prayer. Preacher, it's one of my favorite times of day. Do we cherish that? Or do we look forward to that time of prayer where, 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 where that privilege that we have to enter into the throne room of God and converse with Him on a daily basis? Let's just be honest. I don't have to raise your hands, but in your mind and in your heart, do you really look forward to that every single day? Or is it a drudgery rather than a delight? And I guess I need I need to spend time in prayer. I haven't done that today. I mean, I mean, do we, do we like, oh man, I get to go spend time in prayer today. I get to spend time with my Lord. Sad to say, this is again one, of the, one area that is greatly lacking in modern Christianity. It just is, I'm just telling you. And the problem with a, a lack of cherished prayer, the problem with that is twofold. First of all, man, we're missing sweet fellowship with the Savior. We're miss, missing sweet fellowship with our Heavenly Father. And, and, but secondly, our spiritual lives suffer because I'm telling you what, there is no power in the life of a prayerless Christian. I don't care what you do. I don't care how many ministries. Remember, we talked about this last night. We can get so busy and wrapped up with our spiritual gifts that we leave God clear out of it. And, and, and so we're going through the motions, and that's why sometimes we're weary and well-doing. Listen, you know, I've heard of burnout. You know, I'm burnout. 
I'm burnt out in this, and I'm burnt out in this ministry, and I'm burnt out with that ministry, but I have a hard time. <clears throat> I might be a little bit different here, but I'm telling you what, sometimes we're busier, busier than we're, you know, the one-arm wallpaper hanger. I mean, you know, sometimes it's just we're running and running. I shouldn't have said that. <clears throat> but uh, we're busier and busier and busier, and, and I can understand some people, you know, maybe getting burnt out or getting tired, but we should never get burnt out in the ministry if we're spending copious amounts of time in prayer with him. I mean, it might be difficult. It might be very trying. And it might be hard, but I'm just, and sometimes we do need to take a break, amen? And sometimes we do need to get away, and sometimes, you know, I need a break. I just need to go, I need to go hit a golf ball so I can be really frustrated. You know, <clears throat> I need to go do this. And, but I'm just telling you what, if, you're, if your walk with the Lord and your prayer life is where it needs to be, I think you'll find you have more stamina than you realized. Because you'll have power in your ministry and your service to Him. <clears throat> For the prayerless Christian, there's no, there's no strength, there's no fortitude to withstand the onslaught of, uh, of the attacks of the devil and this world and even your very own flesh. And live preacher, my flesh, I, I'm struggling with this sin and I, <clears throat> I can't get rid of it, you know, and I just wish the Lord, let me pick something out, uh, tobacco, I, first thing came to my mind. Lord, I'm, I'm struggling with this tobacco, you know, Lord, help me with this tobacco, and, you know, and I wish I could just take it away, Lord, take this tobacco, this you know, what's the Lord going to do? Get rid of every cigarette on the face of the earth just for you? I don't think he's going to do that. He's going to get rid of every, you know, can of snuff and, and all this other stuff just to please. No, he's not going to do that. But what he's going to do is he's going to give me the power and the ability to say no, but it's going to come about through prayer. The strength. And listen, I just can't help myself. Listen, we can, we can help ourselves because it's a battle of the spirit and the flesh. The spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. But let me tell you what, last I checked, I'm, I still can do whatever I want to do with my body. You know, raise my right left hand, I can raise my left hand. If I want my body to move my right hand over there, I can do that, put my leg out. I still have control. And so I can say no. My spirit can say no to my flesh. I'm not going to do that. Listen, you don't, want to, you don't need to blame it on anyone else. You're in control of your faculties. You can say no, but it's going to come through the power of prayer. And through your Bible reading and your devotion to Christ. Prayerless Christians, no strength, no fortitude. So I'm asking this evening, I think this evening, after, after looking at the altar of incense, we can understand the great significance and importance of prayer. Yet again, the question, why is it that we don't pray? Is it any wonder that in our prayerless state we're seeing so few broken marriages restored? Is it any wonder so few people are delivered from the bondage of bitterness and the bondage of impurity and the bondage of anger? And even, and even the bondage of eternal lake of fire. Are, are we surprised that our churches aren't growing and baptismal waters aren't being stirred and laborers aren't even answering the call to the ministry? He told us to pray specifically for laborers. He gave us one prayer request, pray for laborers. Are we praying for laborers? It just seems to me that if we think our lives are that bad, if, I, if we think our, our, our life is that bad, then we'd probably be more prone to pray, wouldn't we? It's bad, bad. This is going on, this is going on. Well, it seems to me like you probably have a little bit more time to pray then. But more times than not, often we don't. And one of the greatest investments that I can make in the lives of my wife, and one of the greatest investments I can make in the life of my children, one of the best investments I can make in the life of our church, as well as other believers, is the ministry of prayer. And here's the thing, everyone can do it. Everyone can do it. You know, we went canvassing out for vacation Bible school, no, wait a minute. It was canvassing for our, our church plant. We just started a church in Central Phoenix. 
and uh, we were going out canvassing to, for the church plant, and there's an 80-year-old, 82-year-old lady in, the, in our church, and, and she said, Pastor, you know, and I said, hey, we can do this, do that, you know, we can help out. We sent families over there, and when we started, this, when we started church, we'll send two or three families out over there to help them out and work in the nursery or whatever, you know, fill seats and all that. And she can't do anything because of her age, and she said, but preacher, you don't need, you don't, I don't want you to forget. Not only are you asking help for here and here and here, but don't forget, there's a, not, some of us can't do that, but we can pray. And I'm like, oh man, you're right. I, I can't. And so my next announcement, next announcement, you know, we need help here and here and here. Listen, those of you who can't, pray. Because that's something that every single one of us can do. Every single one of us can pray. The battles that we face on a daily basis, folks, are won or lost. Your battles are won or lost depending on your prayer life. It's dependent upon your prayer life. Because the Scriptures are full of places where prayer has made a difference in the lives of fellow believers. But do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? As we close tonight, I want to read a book from... And I, I, I think I read part of this back in 2009. I preached revival here in the old building in 2009. I think I read from this. I'm not certain. But I want to read from a book that was written in 1959. I mean, it's old school here. Uh, Why Revival Terries by Leonard Ravenhill, who is a great man of prayer. And I talked to Brother Marshall about this, and he allowed me to do this. But I, I want to I just close with this. And I just want you to listen. To this 1959... I think, you know, fighting with the Soviets, you know, back then. But listen to what he says and how apropos it is for us today. He says, no man, now just listen to this, no man is greater than his prayer life. The pastor who is not praying is playing. The people who are not praying are straying. The pulpit can be a shop window to displays one's talents. The prayer closet allows no showing off. Poverty stricken as the church is today in many things, she is most stricken here in the place of prayer. We have many organizers, but few agonizers. Many players and payers, few prayers. Many singers, few clingers. Lots of pastors, few wrestlers. Many fears, few tears. Much fashion, little passion. Many interferers, few intercessors. Many writers, but few fighters. He says, failing here, we fail everywhere. The two prerequisites to successful Christian living are vision and passion, both of which are born in and maintained by prayer. The ministry of preaching is open to few. The ministry of prayer, the highest ministry of all human offices, is open to all. Spiritual adolescents say, I'll not go tonight, it's only the prayer meeting. Yet past experiences sting him to rally all his infernal army to fight against people praying. Modern Christians know little of binding and loosing, though the onus is on us. Whatsoever ye shall bind. Have you done any of this lately? God is not prodigal with His power, but to be much for God, we must be much with God. This world hits the trail for hell with a speed that makes our fastest plane look like a tortoise. Yet, alas, few of us can remember the last time we missed our bed for a night of waiting upon God for a world-shaking revival. Our compassions are not moved. We mistake the scaffolding for the building. Present-day preaching with its pale interpretation of divine truth causes us to mistake action for unction, commotion for creation, and rattles for revival. He said the secret of praying is praying in secret. 
A sinning man will a, a sinning man will stop praying, and a praying man will stop sinning. We are beggared and bankrupt, but not broken nor even bent. Prayer is profoundly simple and simply profound. Prayer is the simplest form of speech that infant lips can try, and yet so sublime that it outranges all speech and exhausts man's vocabulary. A Niagara of burning words does not mean that God is either impressed or moved. One of the most profound of Old Testament intercessors had no language. Her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. No linguist here, he says. There are groanings which cannot be uttered. He says, are we so substandard to New Testament Christianity that we know not the historical faith of our fathers with its implications and operations, but only the hysterical faith of our fellows? He says, prayer is to the believer what capital is to the businessman. Can any deny that in, modern church, in the modern church setup, the main cause of anxiety is money? Yet that which tries the modern churches the most troubled the New Testament church the least. Our accent is on paying, theirs was on praying. When we have paid, the place is taken. When they had prayed, the place was shaken. In the matter of New Testament spirit-inspired, hell-shaking, world-breaking prayer, never has so much been left by so many to so few. He says, for this kind of prayer, there is no substitute. We do it or we die. So, as Christians, we need to be thankful the Lord has even allowed us the opportunity to do what we're doing. I'm so thankful that I have the ability to come into His presence and pray and go directly to the Father because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you what, it is a blessing that I don't think we fully comprehend. So, how much time are you spending in prayer? Well, I mean, is there a certain amount of time? No, I'm, are you spending time with Him? Are you, are you, are you, are you, are you having a, a time in your prayer closet where you're meeting with Him daily? Because if we would do anything for God, I think this church is doing wonderful things for the Lord. And I think the same thing about the church in Glendale that I pastor. But I'm just telling you what, we could do so much more if we were all on our knees begging God for help. If we would do anything for God, if our, if our family, if our spouse, our children will have any blessings and protection it's only going to come about because of prayer. Well, I'll take care of them. I got a good job. I got money. Oh, man, Lord can take that away just like that. But prayer is what's going to take care of them. God is waiting for us to have sweet fellowship with Him. He's waiting for us. I'm just telling you, what, it's a, it blows my mind, but He is waiting for us to have fellowship with Him. He doesn't need it. He doesn't require it for His benefit, yet He invites us every day to come to Him in the manner that He has prescribed to enjoy sweet fellowship, protection, and blessings. He says, you just have to come. So, are you meeting with Him on a daily basis? Is your walk with the Lord where it needs to be? Is there a time? And, and listen, perhaps, perhaps our prayer life is not where it needs to be. You can get that taken care of tonight. I mean, many times I've gone to Him and said, Lord, I'm sorry. I haven't been, it's not been where it needs to be. Lord, help me to set aside that time and, and, and make certain that that prayer life is where it needs to be is your walk with the Lord where it needs to be through your Bible reading and your prayer time tonight. Heavenly Father, we come into your presence again, and we thank you, Lord, for the blessings and the privilege to be able to come in prayer. And Lord, I'm thankful for the privilege that we have of this, this benefit, this blessing, to come into your presence based upon the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And Lord, if we truth be known, if we were honest with ourselves, our prayer lives could use some help. Lord, we could use some work, could you some time set aside for you, and Lord, help us to confess that before you, and 
and make a definite plan, Lord, to set some time aside where we can have sweet fellowship with you. Maybe there's someone tonight, Father, who doesn't know that you as their personal Savior. They're not certain that heaven is their home. I pray that they would come and let us take them aside and show them how they can have help through the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Lord, we need, we need help for our families. We need help with our children. We need help with our finances. We need help with our job. Lord, we need help with relationships and different things that are going on. And Lord, help us to realize that this is only going to come about through a viable relationship with you. We might be able to work it on our own. We might have our own plan. We have our own self-worship, our will worship. I can do it. I've done it before. But Lord, help us to put those thoughts aside and just come into your presence as a helpless child and say, Father, I just need your help. I need your guidance. I need direction that only you can give. I need the wisdom that can only be found in the Word of God. Father, that, that's pleasing unto you. Teach us to pray. Help us to understand what it means to have a viable, personal prayer life with you. I thank you, Father, for the privilege. I just ask that you would help us to understand and take full use of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand. Have a couple verses. Thank you for being in the services today with us at Riverside Baptist Church. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, we certainly would like to help you with that. You can get more information at our website at rbcstjoe.com or call here at the church. If you're a believer and God has spoken to your heart, I hope you'll take time to turn aside and let him have his way in your life. If we can help in any way, shape, or form, please feel free to contact us. We look forward to ministering to you again.